The subject of the talk this morning is meditation and self-knowledge. In making some um, comparison between the uh, Eastern uh, traditions and and Western society, there is t taking place certain changes and adjustments, and what that has come to mean basically is that the changes and adjustments which are taking place are in in order to fit more and more within our Western context. One has, as an, as an example, and those of you who have been, been to the East, a very much a, a structured form there with its usefulness and its limitations, a strong emphasis on um, the religious form and the style of presentation which takes place through various rituals and uh, chanting and um, ceremony and images and so forth and to some degree or other within some of the traditions this is being transferred almost in its entirety from the East to the West and acts a useful way as a supportive factor for meditation. One sees too that in this transmission taking place from the East to the West that the form of relationship is also be beginning to undergo some change. And so that those of us who were exposed for several years to Eastern practices entered into a specific kind of relationship with the teacher or the, the master, the acharya, as he genuinely was referred to. And in this movement from the east to the west, changes are beginning to take place in these two areas because the form of self-knowledge in the west is beginning to change. And what I mean by that is that in the former and the most familiar mo models of relationship, of role and uh, re religion, there's a standardized mode of communication, one might say. And, the, and in the form of self-knowledge taking place in the West, there is more questioning taking place. And the questioning is with regard to role, with regard to religion, with regard to oneself as a human being in relationship to external activities. And what one is seeing in, the, in some of what one might refer to as the more progressive movements in the West is a m more of a clear distinction being being made between, on the one side, religion and on the other side, spirituality. One can have religion without spirituality. One can have spirituality without religion. 
and one can have the two coming together. And in, the, in some of the more progressive movements which are taking place in the West, people who are inquiring and looking at themselves and at life, there is an increased emphasis on the spiritual factors, the inner life, spirituality we might call the spiritual mind, the religious mind, and less emphasis on the role, less emphasis on the form and structure, less emphasis on religion itself. For example, one looks in here and one sees, as has been here now for several uh, years, this um, Buddha image, which is quite useful. It serves as a reminder for a straight posture. It um, expresses, expresses the creativity of the uh, art, um, artist. Um, and, some, and for some, it may be a, a direct reminder of religion. And for some of you who come in here, some of you, the very word religion brings rather automatically inside of oneself, for one reason or another, a groan, or for another person coming into a hall like this, it may um, feel one comfortable. Different kind of responses which take place when seeing a symbol or an image. If it was my choice, because I place far more emphasis um, on the spiritual in life, if I had my way here, I would replace the Buddha image with um, a lovely plant. Just one big plant there, growing. And in some respect or, or other, I feel that the, the trend is towards the spiritual using, for those who appreciate it and, use, uh, and find value in it, religion and religious form, religious expression, religious uh, style. And one has to look at oneself in that area. And, uh, and in looking and being aware in, of one's relationship to religion or one's relationship to the spiritual life, that looking at oneself and seeing what you feel and experience is called self-knowledge. So any major area of life, and here we're talking now, I'm referring to, say, institutional religion and the institution of religion, doesn't matter what religion, is an area for you and I to look at. Because it's rather easy, it seems to me, that we can have a reaction one way or the other. Reaction against, which can deny what is precious and beautiful within religion, or a reaction for, of simply, once again, over or totally identifying with something. And it's not unusual at all, and some of us have experienced this in our life, of strongly reacting against one religion, not seeing anything good in it at all, and a year later, or weeks later, or months later, 
reacting the other way and identifying with another religion and thinking, well, that's all good and all useful. Self-knowledge is being aware in this area. It's being aware of our relationship to what we see religion as. And it seems to me what is important is not the ex outer expression of religion so much, but what benefit it can bring in a very direct and real way inwardly. And that inner, the inner factor, the inner life, is what I would refer to as the spiritual element which can be in religion or out of it. One of the areas too, in this area of meditation and and self-knowledge and the whole of the spirit, spiritual life and what is implied in that is and I don't know to what degree this is happening here, here in the States but um, beginning to happen more and more in Europe and in England is the sense that self-knowledge knowing of oneself and that find taking time out to look and inquire into oneself has such significance, I mean there's the intimations of this in the progressive movements, has such significance that it's beginning to play a much more important role and function in some of the movements such as the Green Movement, the Women's Movement of course, um, the Peace Movement, the movements towards meaningful um, social change and responsibility, that more and more instead of people being, as it were, very much directed to these outer concerns, beginning to see that the outer concerns, which some of you are already, I know, concerned about and express in your life, have to meet more and more with the inner concern, the inner reality too. And that it's not enough for you and I just to be concerned about social issues if in our personal life we are lacking in self-knowledge. And that there has to be more and more bridging together. So that self-knowledge becomes the knowing of oneself more clearly and deeply in our life becomes a primary reason for existence. We can quite um, easily, when one might say, quite skillfully spend a tremendous amount of time, and we've got all manner and ways of, of doing it, of wanting to escape from self-knowledge. 
it is it it it, it has a um, such a difficulty for for us. This meeting with ourselves has such difficulty that that our mind uses life to prevent this happening. And let us give an example, some examples of it. Do you know if the books on self-knowledge, and therefore including meditation, religious practices, the variety of therapies and communications and so forth, inspired all of its readers to actually engage in regular life in the field of self-knowledge, self-inquiry, looking at oneself, working with oneself. The halls and the cities and the parish halls and, uh, and the various buildings throughout this country and others would be chock-a-block full of people engaged in inquir inquiry and looking at themselves and working with themselves. And it's a peculiarity that despite the tremendous proliferation of reading, it filters down to a few of you who make those kind of steps to some sense of commitment. This here, this small scene we have here, is one expression of that. The quest for greater self-knowledge. And it also shows itself, of course, when one is here. Each time one has the, th the thought, and it may well appear with um, tremendous frequency in the course of a sitting, course of the day, when is this weekend going to be over? That thought which arises, and probably everyone has had this uh, has this thought, having had this thought. Each time that thought arises, it, it's not so much that this place is such a horrible place in the countryside, and that the weather is lousy and the people are lousy, etc., etc. The thought itself is saying, when is the time going to come when I can get away from myself? That's the thought, actually. But we express it in another way because we want to feel more comfortable with putting it in us. Or when can I get back to? When will this be over? So our being, being with ourselves, which is obviously the, the, what self-knowledge is all about, one isn't going to get self-knowledge somewhere else except from oneself, and we have to remember that. <laughs> that the being with oneself is the whole key to knowing of, knowing of oneself. And the mind doesn't want to hear this. It just doesn't want to comprehend this simple truth. So, in some, some way or other, when the mind enters into its escape channel, and we have all these, I mean, tremendous number of, uh, of escape channels, 
that when it enters in that, sometimes one has to smile at oneself, laugh at one, oneself, recognize what's going on in, inside of oneself and be able, with some practice, to be able to accommodate the escape routes that we take. This whole area too of self-knowledge and the practice and the application of it too must also, and I feel this is one of the most important themes of life, and we, we have a job here, hearing, and it's the whole area that self-knowledge can come when someone or others directs something which they see about ourselves. And this whole area of feedback to ourselves, directly and indirectly, is something one really, we all of us really need to tune into. So that, so that one hears something, in that it produces a response inside of ourselves. It may just produce a reaction, a rationalization or something, but somehow or other, awareness, observation, meditation, is to produce inside of us a sufficient degree of receptivity that we can hear what we're told. Now, if, if we can begin to hear what we're, what we're told that, and work with it and accommodate it, the hearing of that produces self-knowledge, which produces change, wherein it's necessary. And so many times in our life we get feedback. My God, there's no shortage of people around to give us feedback. And sometimes that feedback may have a real charge to it. It may be angry, it may be negative, it may be passionate, it may be enthusiastic, etc., etc. But to be able to hear that and feel okay with hearing it is a mark of a mind which is which loves self-knowledge. So often we don't love self-knowledge. We don't love ourselves. So that when we get feedback, if it's negative feedback, because we don't love self-knowledge, we react against it and we use what we hear as a further weapon against ourselves just to undermine ourselves. Or somebody says something nice and beautiful towards us, directs it towards us, and we immediately dismiss it. They, if they knew me, they would never say that. <laughs> so in I, either, either way, when self-knowledge is being, as it were, directed towards us, positive or negative or both or what, whatever, to be, that when there's a passion and an enthusiasm to to know and find out about ourselves because of love of self-knowledge, it increases our listening power. And my goodness me, we have a lot yet to hear about ourselves.
So self-knowledge comes in major areas. I just took one out, um, institutions and our relationship and our view towards that. Self-knowledge coming through feedback. Self-knowledge too, of course, and here's an, imp uh, an important area and which we might say we're um, attempting to apply as much as possible, is what happens to me within a given situation. That's, as it were, a, a kernel, a, a, a crux of self-knowledge. What actually happens to me within a given situation? What actually goes on? What's my response? What's my reaction? And it's that development of mind through practice which says, I am interested to find out what I, how I experience this. What actually happens? What is my experience in this, whatever it might be, with my discomfort, with my thoughts, with an early beginning to the day, with what he is doing, what she is doing, what they are doing? What, what's my kind of response to this? And the viewing of events and situations in life helps to make, develop inside of oneself a, a growing interest in oneself and one's relationship to this extraordinary thing called existence. That one becomes interested to know more about oneself. And so along with self-knowledge, therefore an observant mind, therefore meditation, along with self-knowledge there is a development in the mind which brings about a wish and a real willingness to learn. Radically, I mean, uh, that's the softest way I can put it, radically different from educational system because it's an inner form of learning which, with that outlook and attitude of mind, begins to come into every situation to learn from it, to really learn from it. Painful it might be, beautiful it might be, mysterious it might be, ordinary and everyday and common as common as common it might be, but the learning outlook and attitude truly comes into it. Because if you don't have it, you don't grow. In this bringing in and developing an attitude of mind in life towards uh, um, actual learning, what can, I, what can I learn from this? What is to be seen from this? The mind has the potential to look in different ways. And that brings one, as it were, full circle back to what I just mentioned earlier on. If you and I are bringing in an attitude of mind of willingness to learn within situations, it means that somehow or other the role situation begins to have less and less importance. If one of us comes into the situation without the willingness to learn, we're going to have the usual situation in life, I know, 
you don't know. And we see what that has done to this world. We see what the experts have done. Every time there's a little situation going on, they, the, 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 these funny TV people and radio people, they call up somebody, well, what's your view on this situation? And they have the experts, the people who know, the classroom atmosphere, the teacher who knows, and the students who don't know. There's a classic kind of simple uh, il illustration of it. The teacher in English school said, what happened in the War of the Roses? This was when there was some civil war in England. What was the cause for that? And the little child said, uh, because they didn't like each other. And the teacher said, that's not the answer I want, no, whatever. <laughs> But maybe that might have been more important to have explored and to have gone in, in, into. So it's, it's, it's in, in our cultivating a learning attitude, it helps to guard us against getting stuck into t roles which make difference. The roles which I know or, and therefore that the ego of knowing is born and is sustained or the ego of, oh, I don't know, I don't know anything. He knows, she knows, they know, but I'm stupid. And it's so easy, the mind, to swing into, what, to fix itself into one or the other because it doesn't want to learn. And you and I have to ask ourselves, if we are interested in self-knowledge. What sort of role, in that regard, do I like to slot myself into? Do I like to project myself into? Do I like to, to be into? Now, area two, an area two of self-knowledge self has with it the various obvious expressions of knowing oneself, the patterns of mind, the habits of mind, the working with some of the problems and difficulties of mind, the seeing of ourselves in relationship to this, that and the other. But self-knowledge too must go further and deeper than that. In other words, it cannot just simply um, rest on learning, on the ongoing attitude of mind of inquiry, on a willingness to look into roles. In a way, all of that self-knowledge is really a means towards a certain deepening of one's consciousness. Or to put it, in put it in another way, when you and I have a sufficient degree of self-knowledge in life, we know ourselves, we've, we've been in touch with ourselves through 
a reasonably wide variety of situations and events and experiences in our life, one, in one's own mind, one's own mind becomes considerably more reliable and trustworthy. Self-knowledge, as it deepens itself, has as an effect and a result a mind which one truly can have confidence in. It's been exposed to the varieties of life situations, inwardly and outwardly, it's worked with them, it's worked through them, and the mind has that support of self-knowingness, has that support of understanding. And so one knows, one, one can go into, not perfectly, not in every situation, but one generally can go into life and into situations in life and feel at home with it, feel at peace with the circumstances of life. Not in any way that that is an end in the spiritual journey, but in that finding of that equanimity of mind, that uh, equilibrium of one's being, it becomes a means by which, via meditation or observation, consciousness begins to evolve into a new dimension. The intimations of that uh, evolution of consciousness which is in harmony with, with existence shows itself, the intimations of it, through the capacity, to, the capacity to see more clearly and sensitively and yet not see things in such a personal way, meaning not seeing things in such an ego-centered way. So that in that sensitivity and awareness which comes, consciousness begins to expand, to open itself out. And the unitive feeling with life begins to somehow register itself more in one's being. When we lack in self-knowledge, it's them and me, this and that, what I want, what I can't get, the kind of conflict, separation, dilemmas of our mind. And we very easily find ourselves caught up in that mode of living. There's the world on the one side, there's myself on the other, and there is all too frequently an antagonism between the two. Self-knowledge reduces that antagonism. The feeling of harmony begins to come into one's being, and in the harmony which begins to come into one's being, the deeper messages of the universe begin to show themselves. And the link-up in that process, that inner journey and that inner process from difficulty, confusion and problem to uh, greater depth and clarity, the connecting factor there is awareness, is observation, is being a conscious human being.
in a way, life seems to me is uh, not to be something to be lived, but something to be explored. And when we sit, when we ask ourselves, what is this world? This world is a field of experience. Life is a field of experience. And if we can bring ourselves away from escape, avoidance, and more fully into this field of experience, then all that is life will show itself. The, these divisions of mind, separations of the mind will be reduced because life keeps revealing itself in its own fullness. And if that is met within our life, through observation, through awareness, through all which one might call spiritual, then death and the end of life and all that is seemingly implied in that really drops away. That the, light, that the sense of life and bringing with it the fullness which is there means that death is simply a complement to the whole field, the appropriateness in this field of existence. What is appropriate? Life with death. And when we're out of touch with life, when we're losing that connection to it, then death becomes threatening in a paradoxical way. End of life becomes fearful. Yet the deeper we probe into life, then death belongs to that whole field itself. And one wouldn't be without it. So in these, these times, these days, these hours, and in the periods of one's life, life, remembering life is not for living, it's an exploration. May all beings live with observation. May all beings live with self-knowledge. May all beings live in harmony. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.